So I chose this passage from Philippians for today because my joy for you feels like Paul's for the Philippian church. So as I read this passage this morning, and you hear these words as Paul's words to the Philippians, I hope that you will also hear them as my words to you. Hear the word for today from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. Constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you are partners in grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. My sermon for this morning is Partners in Grace. Now, many of you know that when I was a senior at Huntingdon, I served as an intern with the youth department here at the church while I was discerning my call to ministry. That year, Charles and I drove up to Duke to check out the Divinity School. And on the trip up there, we encountered road work and a nine hour trip turned into about 11 and a half hours. We came to find out that that was pretty par for the course and it was not unusual for there to be road work on 85 on the way up to Durham. Anybody else gotten stuck on 85 road work? Yes, uh-huh, I see some nods. In fact, it was under construction all three years of our time in seminary. There was even construction when we went back for continuing education after seminary for several years. Anytime we went to Durham, it seemed that the work was never done. They would finish one part and move on to another. It's been a while since I made that journey, but if they are still working on it, I imagine by the time they finally make it to the end, it's going to be time for them to go back to the beginning because it has taken so long for the work to happen. It reminds me of our passage for today where Paul says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It might be the day of Jesus Christ before I-85 is ever finished. And just like I-85 is continually under construction, we as Christians are continually under construction, growing and learning. There's always work to be done. And just as Paul was confident that God would bring the good work begun in them to completion, 
I am confident that God will bring the good work God has been doing in each and every one of you in this church together to completion. I want to echo the words of Paul in the scripture passage for this morning when he says, I thank God every time I remember you with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of partnership, because of the ways that you have partnered in the gospel from the very first day until now. This morning, I wanted to reflect on the work of this church and how we've gotten to do that, how we've gotten to be partners in grace. So, he said from the very first day, and I started to think, do I think all the way back to the very beginning? Long before I was even here, 1829, when God began organizing us as the people called Methodist. And First Methodist Church in Montgomery was established. A building was built on Court Street, and then we eventually got to move here to Old Cloverdale by July 1938. The first service was held in the sanctuary, and I want you all to picture it. It was on gravel floors and homemade benches. There were no windows or heat or air conditioning. Yeah, you all let that sink in. Can you imagine that? No heat in July. We would be in trouble this week, would we not? But... I bet this space was something to marvel at. No windows, gravel floors, and the grandeur that reminds us of God's grace coming to be around the church that was gathered. As the church continued to grow in numbers and impact, the fellowship and then Wesley Halls were added onto the campus. And at no point did these things just happen on their own. They happened because people partnered together with one another in God's grace to proclaim the gospel and create a space for God's work to be done. They didn't just happen on their own. People took out mortgages so that we could have a space for worship. They partnered together and with the grace of Jesus Christ. This church has continued forward through all sorts of history, learning how to be faithful disciples, following Jesus' call, and witnessing in all circumstances. I had the joy of stepping into this story and began to serve here at First United Methodist Church in its 184th year. We are now in our 193rd year, and I am still confident that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. In my nine years here, I have seen transformative ministry. I've had the privilege of being a part of now since Wren's baptism, 298 baptisms, and 281 students being confirmed. These lives were changed because parents in the church agreed to be partners, partners in grace, committing to what we say, what we said this morning, committing to nurture those children in Christ's holy church, that by our teaching and example, they could be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life. I've also had the privilege to walk alongside and partner with so many of you as you said goodbye to loved ones. We celebrated their lives and the power of Jesus Christ's love that conquers the grave, that does not have the last, death does not have the last word. And when I walk in the columbarium and I see the names of many of those saints, my heart wells with thanksgiving for the time that God shared them with us. I wish I could name them all this morning, but 
Their stories bring me joy, and they were faithful partners in grace with us. In high school, I auditioned for the play. It's a movie now, but it's in play form too, A Few Good Men. And the audition invitation said they were looking for a few good men and one dang good woman. <laughs> when I showed up, they told me that I was too young and I did not get the part. But many years later, I'm thankful to have been cast, or as we say, appointed, by the bishop to serve with not just a few, but 10 different clergymen on staff. Jack Allen, John Blunt, Jason Borders, Bishop Lawson Bryan, Jay Cooper, Charlie Kendall, Ben McDavid, Jeremy Pridgen, Lucas Tribble, and Fred Ziegler, who have excellently led our church. And that's not to mention the wonderful retired clergy I got to visit with and learn from, including Frank Buckner, George Curry, Milton Davis, Fred Fuller, Joe Ed Hastings, Hamp Kicklighter, Ben Sawada, Carl Stegall, and Norman Williams. I give thanks for all of these partners in grace. Bishop Duffy had moved on to the church triumphant when I came back here to serve at First United Methodist Church, but he still made an impact the way he does in my life and ministry. At the end of seminary, I got a letter from him welcoming Charles and I back to the conference and wishing us well in our future ministry. Well, as I was packing up these past couple weeks, I just found that letter, and as I stumbled on it, it felt like a prayer of his for us all over again as we anticipate the excitement of our move to Fort Walton Beach this week. When we were in college, Charles met Bishop Duffy for the first time our freshman year at Huntingdon. And as Charles tells it, he did not run into Bishop Duffy again until we were interning here at the church our senior year. So that means three years had lapsed. But immediately when Bishop Duffy saw Charles, he said, Charles Walters, how are you and your folks in Linden doing? That's the kind of pastor that I want to be, someone who listens so well so as to truly know and remember the people he served. But it's not just the pastors who've inspired me. You all have. You all have been partners in grace with me. I am so thankful for that. One of our confirmands, Francie Crawford, when asked in her confirmation interviews which of the vows she found to be most meaningful, do you know what she said? She said, presence. Because you can always make something else up, but you can't make up an experience with others. Isn't that good? What profound wisdom coming from one of our sixth graders living in and coming out of a pandemic. Wisdom about the importance of presence. But I'm thankful, even in thinking about the importance of presence, I'm thankful that we have technology to connect us with those who can't physically be here. There's a story that's been passed down for me about when we first started to televise um, our worship service. And apparently there was a homebound woman who watched the service in her nightgown. And so when she watched, she would put a towel over her TV when the service began so that the preacher wouldn't see her in her nightgown. <laughs> We've come a long way. We're accustomed to our televised and live stream services. And I hear from countless people how important this ministry is for those who can't make it to church. And I know from visiting with our homebound members how much it means to them. 
but for those who can be here. I encourage you to heed Francie's words because you can't make up an experience with others. I encourage you to figure out how to set some goals with partners in grace. Because if you're like me, I am a lot more likely to wake up to go for a walk if I know somebody's going to be meeting me to do it. Can, can I get an amen? Uh-huh. I'm more likely to commit to and reach my goals and stretch myself if I have a partner. So I encourage you, if you don't have one, to find a partner in grace and commit to stretching yourself to increasing the time that you're present here for worship and in between. If you attend occasionally, I encourage you to come regularly. If you attend once a month, I encourage you to commit to twice a month, twice a month, three times a month, every Sunday, whatever it is that makes sense to you. I encourage you to figure out how you can stretch yourself and grow in discipleship with a partner in grace. Because I believe that partnership is what causes Paul's joy to overflow in this letter to the Philippians because he loves them and he appreciates the partnership and the way they challenge and encourage one another. There are other church members that have taught me and shown me with their actions the importance of that vow of presence. And thinking particularly of members like Margie Moody, John Foshi, and Marianne Hicks Brown, who men, many of you will remember who have moved on to the church triumphant. Despite many reasons why it was hard for them to come, they were faithfully here, parked over there. By, they would sit over there by those columns in their wheelchair or scooter or walker. If anybody had a reason to miss, they did. They have taught me what it looks like to live out our vows even when it's not convenient or easy. And one of the things necessary to do that is community. Partners in grace, they couldn't have done that without their loved ones and the church that came around them, helping them to get here. They remind me that we need each other and that together we can figure out how to follow Jesus. One step at a time, we say this so often and it's true, the church won't be whole without us. And we won't be whole without the church, without our partners in grace. Which reminds me, of one particular baby recognition Sunday. You know that glorious Sunday each year in January when we recognize all the babies that have been born in the church over the past year and we line up and we gather up. We're all scrunched up right here. And I don't remember who it was anymore, but one of the older babies, there, there was this one older baby that kept tugging on the man beside him and saying, Dada. And his mom was a bit embarrassed and kept whispering, that's not your data. <laughs> I understand her embarrassment, but I think the little boy got it right. He got the point, didn't he? The point of that day, they were up there because in addition to their biological parents, they have lots of dads and mamas in the church, partners in grace to those parents who are just trying to figure it out. Our family isn't complete without our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Christ. And I am thankful that our partners in grace give us grace when our little ones feel so at home as to be truly themselves up here during the children's minute. I am thankful for your grace in that. My family 
has had a lot of defining moments here under this archway. Charles and I were married here under this archway in 2010. Our oldest daughter, Hazel, and the other associate pastor's son, Bruce, were born on the same Sunday in 2015. And I'll never forget when Bishop Brian announced from the pulpit that day, he said, well, two of our pastors are having babies today, and it's not me, and it's not John Blunt. <laughs> Since then, we've had Piper and Leo, and all three of our children were baptized here under this archway. I was ordained alongside my good friends Jay Cooper and John Blunt under this archway. It was an honor to stand with my good friend Lucas Tribble as he was ordained this past Tuesday under this archway. And I think it's only fitting that his first Sunday in a stole as a fully ordained elder in the United Methodist Church is my last Sunday with you all as the baton has passed. Also, let me say, there were 15 young adults who volunteered for outdoor greeting at this year's ordination service, and they get mad props because it was hotter than the Pentecost tongues of fire out there on Monday night. <laughs> During my time at the church, I have gotten to work with 26 wonderful interns, and it has been so fun to see how you do what you do so well how you have embraced them as partners in grace, allowing them to teach your Sunday school classes, lead your children at camp, lead you in the call to worship, pray at your bedside in the hospital, sit with and learn from you at the dinner table, and so much more. I'm going to hop back on our interstate metaphor now, because getting to work with the interns has felt kind of like Working on the road work back at the beginning of the road since my story began with me serving as an intern. And I believe that in partnering with our interns, it helps us to continue to lay new pavement for the road ahead as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. That's why when questions arise about what the United Methodist Church will look like in the future, like Paul, I am confident confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. First United Methodist Church has been here for 193 years, and I anticipate continuing to hear about the power of Jesus Christ at work in this church for years and years and years to come. And like Paul, this is my prayer for you that I will close with. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. I pray that you will continue to grow in your love for each other and help each other use the gifts that God has given you to proclaim the gospel. I give thanks that even with many miles in between us, we will continue to be partners in grace. Amen.